it's time to mingle with Tingle, Laura Tingle is Chief Political Correspondent 730. Laura, the PM is in the US and I'm surprised Joe's got to, time to meet him given the, the chaos in their Congress. Well, absolutely, Philip. And I was just thinking about it. Of course, um, the, uh, President Biden was supposed to be coming to Australia earlier in the year and he had to cancel then because of a crisis in the Congress, a different one. Um, and now there's uh, there's this crisis um, which uh, has material impacts on the nature of the PM's visit, I think, because a question of um, a joint address to the Congress was out of the question because there's no speaker. So the Congress is basically dysfunctional. But it also means that everybody in the, in Washington is consumed by that crisis. And what is becoming an increasingly pressing issue, I think, for Australia, which is what the American side has to agree to and pass in terms of legislation and things around the AUKUS submarines uh, is all up in the air as a result of the chaos in Congress. And you know, particularly on top of the fact that um, there are a lot of people in Congress saying, well, hang on, we're not sure that we should be doing this because we don't think we've got enough submarines for ourselves, let alone to be giving them to Australia. Um, it's all a bit I of a mess. I don't think they're giving them to us, actually. Well, well sorry, <laughs> slip of the tongue, Philip, sorry. Um, selling them to us um, and, uh, or, and or getting huge subsidies for building more submarines in America, uh, ostensibly on our behalf. So... I mean, this this was one of those moments when you know, potentially if American politics was actually functioning reasonably normally, it would be a great megaphone opportunity for um, the Prime Minister to be saying, uh, oi, guys, you know, what are we doing here? Are, are we getting on with it? But in fact, he will be struggling for attention against the crisis in Congress and, of course, all the distraction of the appalling situation unfolding in the Middle East. Now, first stop, America. Next, although this is yet to be announced, you heard it first on Late Night Live, and a surprise visit to Julian Assange in Belmarsh. Then on to China, where Elbow will be meeting with uh, President Xi in a couple of weeks. It's been a while since APM has travelled to Beijing, hasn't it? It has been a really long while, Philip, and uh, so I suppose we've just had all of these you know, different um, stops along the way towards this meeting, which will now happen um, in a couple of weeks, the 4th of November, I think it starts off. Um, and, um, you know, there'll be a lot of talk about, you know, particular measures that the, the, the leaders are going to discuss, but of course, and the fact that it's the 50th anniversary of Gough Whitlam going there. Uh, but I think, um, you know, realistically, the fact that uh, President Xi will be having a meeting in Beijing with our Prime Minister is is the real breakthrough. And, of course, we've had sort of some more signs of the thawing of the relationship with uh, with the signs on the weekend that um, China is, you know, expected to um, lift some wine embargoes after a five-month review, blah, blah. Um, they've done sort of other stuff on Bali and, of course, they... Um, released um, the Australian journalist Chung Lei um, as well. So, you know, these are all um, signs. And, of course, um, on Friday afternoon at that, um, what they call the throwing out the rubbish hour, um, they announced that um, the Pro Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet had reviewed the very controversial lease on the Port of Darwin and decided that, uh, you know, that it was, it was all uh, basically 
you know, in order and, and or we, you know, there wasn't much he could do about it anyway. So um, so that's uh, the su- suggestion that it might be re- revoked uh, from its current um, ownership or the lease- leasing to a, a Chinese sovereign entity um, has also been put to bed. You know, I doubt that the majority of Australians even know about this story anymore, but uh, let's push on. Surely AUKUS will be on the agenda in Beijing as well. Well, I'm sure it would be, and um, I'm sure also that's another reason why um, the Americans would have been keen to go ahead with this visit, even though there's there's lots of distractions which might have wanted them to put it off. That they wanted uh, the Prime Minister to be in Washington before he came to uh, before he went to China. Uh, without a doubt, it will be a focus in Beijing, um, and of course the Chinese aren't all that uh, impressed about AUKUS, but. Uh, you know, a lot is happening in the world at the moment, Philip, and it's become a little bit more complicated than just the Chinese being able to throw their weight around. Well, talking about a lot happening in the world, the uh, PM and uh, Minister Wong have maintained that, uh, and I quote, Israel has a right to defend itself, but a few uh, Labor MPs have used different language, haven't they? Well, they have, Philip, and I think this reflects the fact that um, you know, there's, there's whatever the uh, whatever is actually going on in the mid- Middle East. There's a changing sensibility in Australia about this. We now have uh, very big Arab and and Muslim communities in Australia. A lot of people with direct connections into um, into Gaza, um, into the Palestinian interests, just as we have a very large diaspora of Jewish people in Australia. And I think uh, we saw last week, um, led by Ed Husick, the industry minister and the first Muslim elected to the federal parliament, you know, a, a sort of a, a, an attempt to just reflect that by saying, look, um, you know, to say, you know, I feel very strongly that uh, Palestinians in Gaza are being punished collectively um, for for the horrendous actions of Hamas. Now, he was very clear um, about the fact that what Hamas had done in Israel was terrible, but he was using this term collective punishment, which, of course, is actually technically a war crime. Um, And I think it's, you know, it it will hopefully provide a bit more nuance in the debate about about this dispute in, I, I've in never, Australia. I've never met Ed Husick, but I was very impressed with him. He was, I heard him make the statement talking on RN Breakfast and it was very carefully phrased and modulated and I think ultimately useful. It's been a week since the voice referendum was uh, defeated and the week of silence declared by Indigenous leaders has uh, come to an end and they've uh, penned an open letter to Parliament which uh, doesn't hold back. Well, well, some of them have, Philip, um, and it it doesn't hold back um, and it it expresses their sort of uh, grief and um, shock, I suppose, at uh, what the outcome was in the sense that uh, for a lot of Indigenous people, the result of the referendum is a real slap in the face. You know, it's a real repudiation, as they see it, of um, not not just of what they saw as a as a sort of an outstretched hand of um, you know friendship and uh, and um, reconciliation, but also of indigenous people as such. So they've been, um, you know, they've they've been very. Um, 
clear on their views that this was led by um, the no campaigners, um, by the coalition in um, denying bipartisanship. Um, now, one of the things is there's there are divisions within the Indigenous community about how you now move forward in the sense that how hard do you want to go about this? You know, do you give up on reconciliation altogether um, and just and just and just express your anger, uh, whatever. Uh, and I, I have got to say, considering everything that's happened, I, I actually thought that the statement ended up being more measured than it might have been. But it just shows the despair, I think, of people who've been trying to push for this for, you know, decades in some cases at the um, at the outcome and uh, and the question of where on earth does it go now? Let's go back to the old political uh, all-importance of uh, the hip pocket nerve. Cost of living is uh, now dominating. It is. And, uh, in fact, we've seen some new uh, polling um, today, uh, which the Fin Review covered, um, Phil Curry was covering, which was rather staggering because it, it, it showed how voters listed the issues of importance to them in the run-up to the referendum, Philip, and 81%, there was an 81% figure that sticks in my mind for cost of living and Indigenous issues were at 11%. Now, that's only becoming more and more of an issue. We're now talk, you know, hearing talk about a possibility of another interest rate rise because of all the price shocks related to the Middle East. Um, this is now, in a, you know, in a brutal political sense, something that the government has to really while it insists it's been it's been focusing on all of this right through the referendum, it's now got this issue front and centre once it gets through all these various foreign policy hoops, and um, and it's it's got to really address this uh, big time now. Today we saw the release of the final report of the Women's Economic Equality Task Force, which was a, a group set up under the chairmanship of. Sam Mostyn after the last job summit, after the job summit last year. And uh, it's suggested a whole range of measures that the government should be looking for. Now, a lot of it is, I won't say pie in the sky, but it's long range. It's you know, 10 years, uh, 10, 10 year ambitions for what should be achieved in terms of gender equality. And it's things like 52 years paid parental, 52 years, sorry, <laughs> sorry, it's late at night, 52 weeks of paid parental leave um, at, at possibly replacement wages levels and things. Now, they're not suggesting this happens immediately, but it's interesting to read the report and see that a lot of the things that it's talking about are things the government has sort of embraced already, you know, issues like the care economy and um, trying to sort of get some wage equivalents in those areas. So there, there's a whole heap of work that's now been done like that, like the full employment white paper, which will hopefully crystallise and we'll see some more concrete measures in the next few months which address some of these issues. Finally and very briefly, Bill Hayden, dead at 90. Bill Hayden, dead at 90, uh, Philip, and the last of the uh, sort of personalities in that extraordinary Shakespearean drama um, where uh, Bill Hayden stood aside at the very last minute as uh, Malcolm Fraser was racing to the Governor-General in 1983 in favour of Bob Hawke. He was an extraordinary uh, contributor to the Labor cause and to uh, public policy in Australia. 
everything from the um, supporting mother's pension, which is the first time people other than women other than uh, widows got some support to raise their children from government, uh, to being the architect of Medibank, which became Medicare, and then being a significant figure as a foreign policy minister in Southeast Asia, uh, disarmament, and in, as, as Gareth Evans told us on 7.30 tonight, in re repositioning or, you know, making clear that we were a separate, uh, we had separate interests to the US uh, in our alliance. Laura, thanks for that. Laura Tingle, back next week. Laura is, of course, Chief Political Correspondent, 7.30, but Late Night Live is her main job. ABC RN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.